Ephesians 4. We have thrown the tent pegs out. We have camped out. We've built the fire. Well, the fire was already there. It's called the Holy Spirit. So we didn't have to build that, did we? But we're camping out for a few weeks on Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, 1, last week, shared with you, says, Therefore, therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg or urge you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. To lead a life worthy of the invitation. The invitation to a life you never could have imagined because the creator of the universe invites you. Lead a life worthy. Paul says, I beg you, I urge you. And what I love about the word worthy there, it's, 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 it's literally, well, part of the translation is worthily. And I, that sounds like a word I would never use, but it's becoming. I was made worthy and I'm becoming worthy. I've been, tra- I've been transformed and I'm becoming, tra- I'm, I'm being, tra- I have been transformed and I'm being transformed. It is that thought that yes, I am worthy, but I continue to become worthy of the invitation of the calling that has been set before me. Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. We're going to advance a little more today. Give you just a second to look that up, or it should be up on the screen here behind me. Okay, I'll read verse 1 again. Therefore, I, a prisoner, as Paul, for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble. And gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Someone may need to circle that word because right there if you've got a Bible that you can write down or highlight. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body. One spirit, just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. That's good stuff. Today I want to talk to you a little bit about community. We have three values here at, at Renovation. We've kind of narrowed them down. We have some things we try to live out, but there's things that we go, okay, here's some things we want, we're going to keep referring back to. And when people ask us, transformation is one of those, mercy or missions, but mercy, the other one is community. And if we're not cr- helping create, through the Spirit, creating community, then we are not living in what we believe biblically we're supposed to, why we're supposed to be here. We're just missing. After 9-11, and many of you, some of you in here, I think most of the younger ones have left, but, but those who are old enough, and I'd say most people in this room would at least be alive, maybe even remember where you were the day of 9-11, 2001. 
after that day, during the following days after that, something unnatural happened. I mean, it's natural because we're born with it, but it was unnatural because we never hardly see it. Liberals and conservatives were coming together. In this window of time, this, if you took a picture, in this window of time, there's this realization that came to every American, and I'm not saying maybe even around the world, but especially every American. It shattered our self-sufficient, autonomous, individual profile who we had of ourselves. We saw ourselves as a country of broken, fragile people who long for community. For people to cry with. For people to be angry with, not angry at, because we're going to talk about protect the unity. (laughs) To be angry with and to suffer with. People didn't want to be alone. I mean, I'm sure at your workplace or wherever you were at that time, it didn't matter what your political background, it didn't matter what religion you were, it didn't matter what socioeconomic, we didn't want to be alone because in our sorrow and in our rage and in our fear, we wanted to be in community. We wanted to feel that. And the only place really they could have found it Genuine community was in the church. Unfortunately, unfortunately, the church didn't know what to do with it. They turned to us. And we did not have to offer them authentic community which they were hungering for. When the first human was made, God, I mean, if you read Genesis, first part of Genesis, it was good, it was good. Oh, this is not good. What was not good? That man be alone. We were made to help each other. We were made to, in some ways, complete each other in the context of walking with God. The Bible story, if you take the whole thing, it is about community. Jesus model community with his tribe of disciples and even when he sent people when he sent his disciples out how did he send them out twos i love what we've been singing this morning a little bit i can't remember the verse there about the angels and the saints singing i got this vision of heaven Where at the end of this whole thing, at the revelation, if you read Revelation, it can scare you or confuse you, maybe more than scare you. You can get to the end of that. But what I want to tell you, friends, is when you get to the end of it, it is all about community. It is a new heaven and a new earth. And we're going to live together. And we're going to be reconciled to God and reconciled to each other. There will be no more sickness. There will be no more heartache. There will be no more mourning. There will be dancing. But it starts now. It starts now. So many of us think about eternity. Eternity is now. 
We don't wait till we die to get into eternity. Eternity is now. So we are supposed to be practicing. Some of you are going to be miserable in heaven if you get there. And let me say it this way. I'm not trying to self-deposit you in a lot. You're going to be miserable because you thought it was about something else. It's the angels and the saints singing. Oh, it's a lot more than that. There's food there. This week I've been on a diet. I've been thinking about heaven a lot. (laughs) I have a feeling, I've thought this about heaven, that someday, I'm off my notes here, that I bet in heaven, Jane and I struggle with living inside the same temperature. (laughs) Any couples ever have that? If I could at night, by the way, my air conditioner went out last night in our bedroom, but anyway... I would sleep with it 66 in our bedroom. Yes, sir. Jan 73. There's a problem. I bought her an electric blanket. We put that on there. It's still not enough. Because she still has to get up and go to the bathroom in the middle of the night and get out in that 66-degree weather. But I have a feeling in heaven, God is so big, everybody gets to feel their perfect temperature at the same time. How about that? I can eat what I want to and gain no calories because there's no death. So why am I worried about that? I don't know. But I believe we'll do it together. And it's going to be awesome. So the whole thing begins and ends. And everything in between is about community. First Peter 2.9, it's in the King James Version because I like the, the wording here. And again, we're not talking about LeBron James's version. We're talking about, okay, as we said last week. <laughs> but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Now, get this in your mind. Just let me slow down a second. Just start getting visuals of what I'm reading to you right here. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood a holy nation, a peculiar people that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. You are a peculiar people. Have you ever been told that? Yes, many of you have. But what I love about the word there is you're distinctive. You're unique. You're uncommon. We're supposed to be a little different. (laughs) We are. Not just in the way we live. And what I don't do or what I may do, but who I've become. As we say over and over here, I don't want to become an influencer so you'll be more like me. I want to become an influencer so you'll be more like Christ. Because I'm becoming more and more like him. Pick up those traits. Leave the others, because you'll find others. Leave those if they don't line up. Leave leave those behind. But the ones that that are lining up with Christ, please, I hope I get to influence you on those. Because we're trying to point you to him. But I love what James Bryan Smith says. 
He says, I needed to be reminded that as a follower of Jesus, I am peculiar in the best sense of that word. Peculiar, that is, to the world around me that does not live by the teachings of Jesus. My life is rooted in the eternal and strong kingdom of God. The roots of my life are in the future, safe and secure. Remember we said last week, I don't have to worry about death because that's already been dealt with. Death's behind me. Life is in front of me. So I have no fear of death. Which gives me the strength to live unselfishly. When you're secure, you begin to live unselfishly. To strive for unity in the midst of diversity. I love our congregation more and more every week. It's becoming more and more diverse. And I love it. To forgive even when it is not easy. To set my, set my standards high, high. To live generously. To long to be worshiping in the house of the Lord. And to be a witness of new life to a dying world. I need to be reminded that I need community around me to help me remember who, I, who and whose I am. And what that means for my daily life. A peculiar people. An uncommon people. So Paul's talking here about community. So in verse 2, he says, Always be humble and gentle. Always be humble and gentle. Humility gentleness, kindness, and we could go back, if you want to go back and listen, I taught on the fruit of the Spirit back in July. You can get more in depth and won't go preach that again. But they walk hand in hand. And as we talked about the fruit of the Spirit, the traits of, which is love, the traits of love, it's not like you get a couple of them and you don't get the other six or whatever. You're really supposed to be growing in all of them. That's when you really know you're being transformed in the image of God as all of them are growing in you. They're not just, oh, I picked a couple that I like and they're easier for me to grow in, so I'll just grow in those. And when the Spirit is working within you, they're all growing. Maybe not at the same pace, but they're all growing. So gentleness, kindness, humility. But Paul says always. I love this. He, he just wanted to make sure at all times. Not just when you're around people who would recognize you. At all times. When you're on the freeway. At all times. When you're lying at the grocery store. At all times. Because this becomes a fragrance and aroma. It is not just something you do. It becomes the ethos of who you are. It's a spontaneous reoccurring pattern that begins to come out of you. Because you can't help it. And what I love about why Paul is putting it here, because humility, gentleness, kindness, deals with other, people's, other people in their faults. There's no greater, I read this somewhere, there's no greater mark of greatness, of nobility of character, than the ability to correct or rebuke in kindness. This must not be confused with shyness. 
timidity, because we did not get a spirit of what? Timidity. We got a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind or self-control, whichever one your interpretation is. So that's what we got. So this is not about being shy or timid. This is walking with boldness, but the right kind of boldness with Christ in us. It's gentle strength with self-control. And for most of us, that's a whole new concept. To have a gentle strength that is under control. To be strong, to be secure, to be bold, to be courageous, but in control. Led by the Spirit. The opposite of this is being superior and self-absorbed. Superior and self-absorbed. I shared with you last month, I think it was Timothy Keller's three things that, that if we're not careful, there are signs for us when we become blocked and, because we want something and we become angry. He said usually it comes from three sources. You know, uh, control, approval, and now I forgot what the other one was. Remember? I'll look it up for you. Get back with you. It just went off my mind. But comfort is the other one. When somebody blocks our control, they blocks the approval that I want, the control I want, or my comfort. I think that's probably one of the biggest things in the church in America. You can say, I don't really, ah, control, I'll let you have that. I I don't need your applause, but I do want my comfort. I do want my comfort. I'm not even talking about just out there. I'm talking about when you walk in these doors. I saw a video a few weeks ago. We may show it during this Empowered this week, but the guy's talking about where the greatest sprinters come out of most of the time over the last 20 or 30 years come out of Jamaica. And I wish I had the video up here, but you go and see these Jamaican sprinters, Usain Bolt, many of you know Usain Bolt, but these great sprinters, you go to their practice facilities, this guy comes walking out, he would not look like a track coach, he walks out, throws his folding chair down, and they have nothing that represents comfort. See, we're here to train and become the best in the world, or we're here for comfort, and you can go do that somewhere else. There's a chance what I preach today may make you uncomfortable. But I hope I'm preaching the word. I hope I personally don't make you that. I hope the word and the spirit connected is what does that. Sometimes we need to be disturbed. Disturb us, Lord. Disturb us. Disturb us that we walk by people every day that are lost. Disturb us, Lord, that we don't want to, our, when we see our finances and we try, to reach, we try to take in our finances. What if we got confused what our finances were even for? They were never about comfort. They were never about us. It was always about generosity in others. What if we figured that out? I'm on this journey with you, so I'm not p- preaching to you. I'm preaching with you. 
I'm part of the congregation when I preach this, folks. I've, I've wrestled through it my own self. I'm amazed that when I really am walking in the Spirit, I find goodness and love in the strangest of places and the strangest opportunities and circumstances. I find them in those places because what happens is it's no longer about what somebody else has or has not done. It's because of who I've become in Him. And now I don't have to base it on whether they love me or they do the right thing or all that. It's all based on what Christ is doing in me. It's on who I've become. And now I can see circumstances differently. I can see them as opportunities. Be patient with each other. Ministers use the term patience, but most of the time when we say we have to have patience, it's because it's been thrust on us. It's circumstances where we've been put in and we have to figure out how to be patient in that. This is not what this is talking about. This is the term forbearance here, back to patience. Forbearance is, and it's going to take this inside a community here again. The context we're talking about today is community. Forbearance is, it takes patience to a whole different level. And it is a fruit of the, it is a trait of the fruit of the spirit of love. You truly have the option not to wait. You truly have the option not to be patient. That because of the work of the Spirit in your life, you're able with joy and peace to not enforce your right. A refraining from the enforcement of something, a debt. A refraining from doing something that you would it would never bother you, but you don't do it for the good of others around you. You give that up because of the people around you could be harmed by it, even though it may not harm you personally. I give up my right to be right. When was the last time you had every right to call someone out, to call in a debt? And you can, you can make debt a lot of different things here. I'm not talking about a financial debt or anything. I'm talking about a debt of all kinds of things. And you were led by the Spirit to give up your right to be right. Grace-filled because you're not afraid. Grace-filled, friends. You give it up. Paul goes on to say, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Making allowance for each other's faults. Making allowance, giving space, giving flexibility, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. I, I'm still amazed to this day that Christ has forgiven me of my worst moments in life. That my sins and your sins, if you've asked him, are removed as far as the east is from the west and never to be brought up again by God. They're gone. They're gone. Soak in that just a second. And with all that... He still has a great plan for me. And the fact is, he may use some of those worst 
moments in my life. I'm jumping. I've never done that before. In my life, friend, he may use the worst moments to advance his kingdom the greatest. It's out of that ugliness. It's out of those broken, fragmented pieces that we begin to put it back together where the reflection of Christ begins to be seen through us, which we were created to be in the first place. Adam was supposed to be confused with God in the garden. Glory, Shekinah glory in his creation. That is the glory that's supposed to come out of us. And it was broken, but when we come to Christ and we begin to walk this out as a worthy calling, he begins to put those pieces, those broken pieces back on us. And then people begin to see the reflection of God. Us not as God, but an avenue and a channel to him. He's going to use those. I try to forget those. Oh, the only way I'll ever bring it up, I think God says, the only way I'll ever bring it up, when I'm going to use it to advance the kingdom. But not for condemnation, but for advancement. But you know what still amazes me also? Maybe as much sometimes. That we can receive and believe what I just said to you about Christ. That he continues to do it in our lives. But somehow or another, we don't believe he can do it in someone else's life. We judge them, we pigeonhole them based on their worst moments in life. Usually we're comparing it to our best traits, though. Aren't we good at that? We want to look at other people in their worst moments. And in our mind, somehow or another, we do it compared to our best moments. Who are we that we're arrogant enough Matter of fact, Jesus tells a story about a guy who's been forgiven of his debt. But didn't get it. Want other people to pay for theirs, though? What if someone else's fault? What if their fault... Whatever that is whether it's an ongoing or a certain time or whatever that is, what if their fault has brought you to a point in a moment that you have to deal with your fault? Because you may not struggle with theft and you may not struggle with drugs and you may not struggle with promiscuity and you may not struggle with certain things. That you may struggle with a critical spirit. You may struggle with gossip. You may struggle with a lot of other things. You may struggle with humility and gentleness and kindness. You may struggle in all those things. But you don't want to put that up against that. Because that doesn't seem as bad. You walk into this place with a critical spirit trying to figure out what I can critique. Find that in Scripture for me. 
You come in finding a reason not to be here. And there, you'll find plenty of them. I'll just confess it. You will find plenty, and one of them is this pastor. And I'm dead serious. I've got enough faults that you could say, I'm not going to be here under his leadership. I guess you could do that. I get it. But sometimes God is working on us through someone else's circumstance. I remember years ago, my pastor, Brother Harley Patterson, I love him to death. He's still a dear, dear friend of mine. But when I left Alumax, uh, aluminum mill, when I left there after six years, at 32 years old, went into ministry full-time, one of the things he told me was the first day, uh, May 15th, 1992, he said, okay, Kurt, I don't want to have to tell you what to do every day. I need a self-starter. I need you to, well, okay, that works for me. So, man, I started, and we were doing all kinds of different stuff. Well, six months in, I did something without passing it by him first, and I got some other people excited about it, and he didn't want to do it. So it made him look bad, and I understand it now in leadership. I should have gone to him first before I got everybody else excited. But when he stopped it, it made him look bad. Bad, that was, that was my bad. But what he did was he sat me down in his office, and he talked to me, I think, for two to three hours. I can't remember, and it's the hardest talking to I've ever been at without being cussed at in my life. <laughs> and it was, he talked for whatever it was. I talked for about four minutes. He talked the rest. And at some point in there, he took a legal pad out, and he threw it across his big desk there. He says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to write down every day, even your days off, tell me what, where you're spending your time, how you're spending your time, and I want to know it. I want you to turn it in every week. I want to know. I thought, that's crazy. That's ridiculous. I'm a grown man. I got three kids. I've been working 14 years in the secular. Who, who are you to tell me what I am supposed to be doing? This doesn't even, so I started calling people who would agree with me, that I knew would agree with me especially. And they're going, yeah, that doesn't make any sense to me either. That stinks. That's just never other youth pastors. And boy, they're just rolling on. Then my brother says to me, my oldest brother says to me, hey, Kurt, seems like you've got a problem here, don't you? You're either going to do it or not. You have to decide. So I went home. I was praying in a little house at 400 Johnson there in Wake Village, Texas. I went into to the den there, and I was just praying, Lord, this is not fair. This is not fair. This is not fair. And the Lord spoke to me in an audible, not an audible, as if it was an audible voice. The whole, the whole Spirit impressed on me. He says, Kurt, this is not between you and Harley Patterson. This is between me and you. Will you submit? It changed my leadership style from that point on. Because what I realized was, if you're going to be a great leader, you better become a great follower. In order to be a great follower, you've got to learn to submit. So in that moment, if I want to be a great leader for the kingdom, I've got to learn to submit not only to the authorities put over me, but I've got to learn to submit to the, the highest authority. Sometimes it's really not even about them. It's about what God's doing in you. Because of your love. And we can talk about tough love. We'll probably talk about it more next week. We are called, and there is this tough love, but, but, but we think that sometimes. There's a difference between tough love and bullying love. I've played under enough coaches who bully 
They thought that that's tough love. I'm doing tough love. No, it's bullying love. That's all that's called. Ain't nothing tough about it. You're not tough enough. You're insecure. I think the problem you got is, because I, I shouldn't go down that road, but there is a difference between tough love, and we say that in youth ministry. You know how I led kids in youth ministry, arm around their neck and nose to nose. We loved them, but said, we are headed somewhere. It is in you. We're going to find it. We're going to pull it out of you. We're going to both die trying. (laughs) Yes, we will talk about it. We're not trying to be tolerant. Our goal here is not tolerance. Our goal here is agape love. That is what we're called to. But he goes on to say, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit. United in the Spirit. Make every effort, friend. Make every effort. United. I mean, you're on guard. You're posted. You're going to go fight for it. You're not even just going to go, oh, well, I couldn't do it. No, you're going to fight for the unity. To protect it. In all of our churches. Not just here. We're not in competition with CCV or redemption. We're with them. We're with them. They just do it better than us. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, my point is this. We love them. And if you're trying to find a community where people are there who won't annoy you, you ain't ever going to find that one. I love what Henry Nouwen says. He defines community as the place where the person you least want to live with always lives. This may be in somebody's home right now I'm talking about. (laughs) Right? He goes, often we surround ourselves with the people we most want to live with, thus forming a club or a clique, not a community. Anyone can form a club. It takes grace, shared vision, and hard work to form a community. I can promise you, if you're looking for a reason not to be at renovation, you will find people who annoy you. We carry that as a badge of honor. Now, those who intentionally annoy us, we've got a whole different conversation to have. Now, binding yourselves together, binding you, tying yourselves together. Literally, it means like a ligament, ligament that binds your joints together. Because what's Paul talking about here? He's talking about the body, right? That's what he's referring to. It's the body. The ligaments, what I love about ligaments, they're flexible. They give and... But they bind the body together with peace. I'll say again, we all have peace with God through the, through the work of the cross, the death, resurrection of Christ. We now have been invited to have peace with God. Reconciled. But then he says, now live worthy of the calling of now your invitation is to become a reconciler. To bring people back to God and bring people back to each other. 
That kind of defeats the, the gift of division you think you may have. <laughs> the picture Paul's painting, fight for it, bind it, whatever you got to do. But the person who annoys you the most very well may be in that community. But what if you begin to pray this way, God, not, you're not praying, God, remove the most annoying person in my life. No, you don't pray that way. God, make me a person who can love the most annoying people in life. Make me, be, let me become, then I can find goodness and, 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 and love anywhere. Because it's what I'm bringing to the party. I'm not waiting for what they're bringing to the party. I'm waiting for what I'm bringing to the party, and I always can control that. Changes everything. That changes the way you get up every morning. Because nothing is dependent on anybody else except me and him and then me loving those he has put me in contact with because of what he's done in my life. With peace. The ministry of reconciliation. The ministry of forgiveness. Compassion. Restitution. Wholeness. Jesus says in John 13, 34, 35, a new command I will give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You see how high the stakes are, folks? The only way the world around us will know that Christ has come Is how we love one another. Until you get that as part of the stakes that are at hand, you won't ever live into the fullness of what God has for you. You just won't do it because it won't become a conviction. And it's not a conviction until it becomes daily practice. And what our goal here is to make it ethos, a spontaneous reoccurring pattern of how that lives out in your life every day, a fragrance and aroma, Scripture says. The credibility of the gospel is not pending on how well I preach. The credibility of the gospel is not pending on how kind of music we do. The credibility of the gospel is not pending on whether we have donuts or not. The credibility of the gospel is how we love one another. That's what's at stake. That is what's at stake. I love what Francis Schaeffer says. He says, a relationship with each other is the criterion the world uses to judge whether our message is truthful. Christian community is the final apologetic. Christian community is the final apologetic. Josiah, would y'all come on down as we close? If we can't sing, ever be. Richard Foster goes on to say in his book, Streams of Living Water, he said, when I speak of Christian community, I am referring not just to the work of churches and certainly not churches as they are often manifest today. I am speaking of an alternative way of living that shows for social life and it's meant to be lived. Communities of love and acceptance, fellowships of freedom and liberation, centers of hope and vision, societies of nurture and accountability, little, little pockets of life and light so stunning that a watching world will declare, see 
how they love one another. Paul wraps this up in Ephesians 4 with verse 5 and 6. There is one Lord and there is one faith. There is one baptism, there is one God and Father of all who is over all, in all, and living through all. Just stand with me. Lord, help us right now as we sing. Lord, as often as I look around to the rafters in this building, Lord, you know what I'm trying to visualize. (laughs) I'm just trying to visualize you looking over the angels perched along the the light lofts, the light troughs up there. And you looking down upon us, and Lord, I know you're in us, and I know you're around us, but just in my visual picture I get that there's a smile on your face. That you're just saying, look at my kids. Look how they love one another. Look how they love one another. They're not great singers, but they love one another. But it is beautiful music to my ears. Help us today, Lord, to sing at the top of our lungs. To tell you how much you're worth to us. Help us, Lord, as we sing now. We love you, Lord. We pray this in your powerful name, Jesus. Amen.